Welcome. That was all just to welcome you, to kind of get you, get you settled. We're glad that you're here today. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, I would encourage you to do that. We're in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to get right into it. We're going to pick off, pick off, pick up. We're not picking anything off. We're picking it up where we left off last week in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And so if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, hey, those are there. If you don't have one, it's yours. Take it home. We're glad to give it to you. We've got plenty. They're all in the back. We'll just grab another one and bring it out. I think it's on page like 981 in that Bible in front of you, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And here's what we're doing. Last week, Paul laid down this vision for life, at least the Christian life, and he said, here's my goal. And you can check this with your own goal. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul is somebody who knew Christ on a crazy, kind of a crazy level. I mean, I think of my knowledge of Christ and Paul's knowledge of Christ. He's like a 10. I'm probably like a 4 maybe, and that may be boosting it a little bit because I'm up front on a Sunday, and I want you to think well of me. Paul's a 10. I'm a 4. Anyways, Paul had a crazy knowledge of Christ. He experienced Christ, came to faith in Christ. He's on a, a horse or something like that. He gets knocked off, rode to Damascus, blind for a period of time. God heals him, all that kind of stuff. And then his life launches out in a totally new trajectory. He goes out into the world and really does, in, in a historic sense, change the world through Christ and the gospel, became one of the most effective church planners, planted churches. And when they went into these communities, it's not that the spiritual life just changed. It did, but it totally radically changed the economic life, the social life of these communities, worshiping pagan gods and coming to this God of self-sacrifice and love. Totally changed everything. And Paul, through that, knew Christ on a high level, and yet he says it's not enough. That when it came to the knowledge of Christ, he is greedy. I mean, he is not satisfied with what he has, which says to me, Jason, are you satisfied with what you have? And when, when was the point that I stopped being satisfied? Are you with me on that? You know, sometimes you have these spiritual moments in life, and the sad thing is when your spiritual highs are in the past, because that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not about looking back at the vistas I once climbed. It's about the future and what God is doing in my life today. And I wonder sometimes, when, what was it? What got in my path? What happened that kind of stalled out my faith? Why am I not where I thought I was? Because I don't know about you. I thought I'd be holier than I am. I'm about to turn 45. I think that's a big number for me. I know. Some of you got me beat. It's okay. But I thought, really, I did. When I was in my 20s, you know, I came to faith at 19. I thought, by 45, man, I'm going to be holy, right? I'm going to be all Jesus. Jesus is in me and out of me and all that. And it's just not, and, and I don't know. I have to ask some of you, you know, 75, how are you feeling? 80. We pushing 90? Anyone 90? And you don't have to say anything. Anyways, the point is, what does it look like to take that passion for Christ and live it out? And that's what we're going to look at today. And he's going to say three things. Forgetting what is behind. There's something you need to forget. And it's not going to just happen. You're not going to wake up and just forget it. It's a discipline. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I want to press on towards the goal to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to take 
to, to make my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, those of us who are mature think this way. And if at anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have already obtained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me ask for, for God's help. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, as you have indwelt us, if we have trusted in you, you tell us it's by that seed, just the word coming in, it gives life. An imperishable and living life that's not something we generate. It's alive in us. But forgive us that we're not aware. Forgive us, Father, that we're not leaning on who we are in Christ. We're not focusing on who you are, but we're still letting stuff in life, whether the past, our broken dreams, our own sin and brokenness. Father, we're allowing that stuff to keep us from pressing forward. And not to press forward to earn, but Father, just simply to press into that for which you have already taken hold of us. It's ours in Christ. But I'd ask through the power of the Spirit, you would reveal those things that we need to let go of, where we need to push into. And Father, how we need to hold on to a prize that's greater than what we're chasing after right now. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, convict us, and lead us into all righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is going to give us a metaphor in this this passage. It's a metaphor of the Christian life, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And understand, this is not varsity level following Jesus. When you hear Paul say, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, all that stuff, forgetting what is behind, pressing on towards what is ahead, that is not the height of Christianity. That's normal Christianity. I think sometimes we look at Paul, we look at what he's describing, and we kind of lower the bar. Well, that's, that's not where Jason fits in. You know, I'm kind of down here. This is how I do my Christian faith. Paul's up here. But no, he's describing what we should be pursuing as those that know Christ and want to know him more. And so that's the language he's using, and he's using a really helpful metaphor. It's the metaphor of the Olympic Games. Now, I love the Olympic Games. I love watching track and field. You know, I love watching all those sports that you never typically watch, like in the Winter Olympics, the curling. You know, you guys watch the curling? I mean, that's crazy. And we got the curling center here. How crazy is that? And for $500, this is an advertisement, eight of you can go down there for like four hours, I think, and they have like a, anyways, something that I just remember. Anyways, and, and that, so we got, that stuff's amazing, but the, the metaphor he's using is that of an athlete who is pursuing the goal running the race because see in philippi and also in rome there were these stadiums these coliseums and the games were not held every four years like we do but every single year every single year these games would take place and if you were an athlete in the game there was no participation medal you didn't step onto the field just to be on the field you know some countries send their athletes and they're just like man we're there this is amazing right we're actually on the field but in this case paul's saying i'm an athlete but i'm not an athlete just to show up I'm not into attendance. I'm not into uh, observing what's going on. Rather, I want to win the prize for which I have begun this race. That I haven't put all my training into this just to show up. Rather, I put all my training into this so that I might arrive at the place that God has chosen me to arrive. So let's jump back into it in verse 
I think in verse 12, and pick it up and follow along with what he's describing. Now, here's what's really helpful for me. I love these first words. Not that I've already obtained it. Thank you, Jesus. It's okay to not be there. It's not okay to stop pushing. It's okay to say, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, but I'm not there yet. You see that word? That's helpful. And then second, I have not already been made, as he says in verse 12, I have not been made perfect. Now, this word obtained, it's actually used three times in the passage, but in the English, we translate it different ways just to confuse you. It's what happens. But in the Greek, often you'll have the same word used, and that's really helpful to grab onto. And this word obtained is this word lumbanoed. Not that I've already lumbanoed it. I haven't taken hold of it. Now, here's the image. It's the image of a hunter pursuing the prey. So when he says, I haven't taken hold of it, it's not like he's just grabbing something on the coffee table and picking it up. No, he is a hunter pursuing the prey. He is a police officer chasing after the criminal. He is following the evidence, and his goal is to take hold of that. So he says, I haven't taken hold of it. And then he says, or I haven't been made perfect. I haven't reached my, here's the Greek word, teleos. I love that word. Teleology. It's, it's, I haven't reached my end. The teleos of a good pair of running shoes is to run. That's what they're created for. They're created for someone that wants to use them for running. A good pair of hiking shoes. The purpose of them is not just to look good when you're walking down the street. The teleos of those shoes is to take you on a terrain that you normally could not go. Well, Paul is saying, my teleos is to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him. And I'm not there yet, and I haven't been made perfect. So jump back in, verse, verse 12. But I press on to make it my own, and again, make it is verse 10, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I told you this word obtain shows up three times, and it's in this word make it my own. And it's the word, again, lumbanoed. And here's the beauty of the gospel. This is the gospel summarized in one, one little verse. God has lumbanoed me. He has kata, he has taken hold of me. And because he's taken hold of me, I now take hold of him. The Christian life is not loving God so that he might love you. It's not obeying God so that he might accept you. What he's saying is God has already done the work. And when you think of the effort that God has put in, Jesus has put into Lombano to take hold of us, it's not a small effort, folks. We studied that in chapter 2. If you go back in chapter 2, he says, Have this mindset that is in Christ Jesus, though he being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Wow, that's blowing. And became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That is the energy level of Jesus, though he being in very nature God, becoming man, Suffering on the cross for us, the energy that God has put in is cosmic. It's divine. That's the energy that God has taken hold of us. And all he's saying is the Christian life is simply in response to what God has done. The Christian life is living in response to what God has done. John says we love because he first loved us. We forgive as we have been forgiven. All of the Christian life, it's not to obtain. It's because you have. 
And Paul's saying, look at the degree to which God has taken hold of us. Has that, has that broken you? Has that begun to change the way you see things? Do you realize the degree to which God has taken hold of you? All he's saying is, I wanna take hold of God to the same degree he's taken hold of me, and I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Now, he doesn't use that. That's not, a mis- that's not kind of a cop-out. He's not saying, I'm not there yet, so I'm never gonna get there. No, he's saying it's worth pursuing. It's worth pursuing. God has taken hold of me, so I wanna take hold of him. So watch this, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. He's reminding him again, hey, I'm not there yet, but there's one thing that matters. Now, in the Greek, it actually says, but one. And I'd like to tell you, Paul's gonna give you one thing to do. It's not true. He's actually gonna give you at least three things to do. But he's saying, may this one thing be what captures your mind and heart. And here's the one thing. That's three things. Forgetting what's behind straining towards what is ahead, and then pressing on towards the goal. What does it mean to know Christ? It means you've got, there's stuff you've got to forget. We're going to talk about what forgetting is because it doesn't just happen, guys. There's stuff in my life I have tried to forget by just living. It don't work. There's not a moment in life where it just erases. You know, this isn't like a computer up here. I can't put it in the trash and then suddenly push delete trash and it's all gone. It's not that easy. Instead, there is a discipline we gotta pick up. Then he says, second, straining towards what is ahead. We need to know what is, toward, what is ahead. And then finally, third, pressing on towards the goal. So let's pick up the first one, the first metaphor of forgetting what is behind. Now, what is behind is weight. Because again, if we're running a race, the one thing you want to do is to throw off weight. You wanna throw off baggage, suitcases, you know, when a marathon runner comes and he's running a marathon, you don't see a backpack. You seen that guy with a backpack? Yeah, right, he's not running. He's not in the race. He's disqualified. You don't see him with luggage. You don't see him holding their own water bottles because the goal of that runner is to accomplish, to achieve the prize. If he's carrying baggage, you can't run. How much baggage are we carrying? Now, what's the baggage? For Paul, it was his past. Paul persecuted the church. He chased after Christians who were following Christ, the very guys that are now sitting next to him in church, right? He used to persecute them, persecute their family. He murdered Stephen. This is his past. And his past was also all his accomplishments. His past was his education. His past was his titles, his knowledge, his respect. All of that stuff, he said, listen, some of it was good, but it kept me from knowing God. It kept me comfortable. Some of that stuff was good. His education, all of that was good. But listen, it was an obstacle to knowing Christ the way that I needed to, meaning it became the goal. And I need to forget what is behind. I need to take off the baggage of my past. And it may not be a long past. It could be yesterday. Some of you have baggage, and it's a person that you cannot forgive. You wake up, you think about him. You think about her. You start talking about it. It's the first thing you talk about. Or maybe for some of you, the first thing you talk about is not a bad thing. It could be a very, very positive thing, but it's not the things that's going to press you towards Christ. But it's on your mind, isn't it? It's, it's what you think about. It's, how, it's what defines the way that you operate in the world today. And it becomes baggage in that it's not leading you to know Christ. It may not be a bad thing, but it could be a thing that's replacing 
what God wants to bring in your life. There are things called functional saviors. I don't know if you heard that. We all have them. I'm just going to let you know. A functional savior is something you look to to give you what only God can give. And you don't look to it to save you like heaven, that idea, but you're trying to look to it to save your marriage. You're looking to it to save how you feel. You're looking to it for comfort. You're looking to it for satisfaction. You're looking to something to give you really what you should be pursuing God to give. Does that make sense? There's stuff in your life you need to let go. The question is, do you know what you need to let go of? Can I totally confess? Yeah, it's, it's Sunday, so I can do that. There was, I gotta tell you this story. So we lived in Boston. Some of you know this. Um, big Boston, all sports fans, all the sports. I know, Patriots, it's okay. You can forgive me. You can let it, let it go. <laughs> That's all, just gotta, gotta let it go. But anyways, I, I got this phone call. It was a Tuesday. You know, I was at a, one of these conferences or something, you know, it's probably a boat show, and I filled out a couple of, you got fill those things out, and you're like, no one ever is gonna call. Well, they called. They called. It was the Boston Celtics, and they wanted me to take a three-point shot. They wanted me, Jason, three-point shot after the first period and between the second period, Dallas Mavericks, Boston Celtics, Boston, old Boston Garden. Okay, guys, this is reverent. You gotta understand. Jason, you are on, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. You know, this is Bill Russell kind of ground. You know, this is Bob Cousy. You guys with me on this? No, it's okay. Anyways, I won't go there. This is for a boss. This is holy ground. I got in front of Dirk Nowitzki. You know Dirk Nowitzki, Dallas Mavericks? Anyways, he's watching me. And for se- it was, it was uh, for a casino, $7,777. They were going to give me if I made this shot. And I played, I played high school basketball. I'm not bragging up here, but I did. And this was my most important shot, guys, of my basketball career. For se- and I was married for two years, had no money. So $7,777 would help. And I totally missed. Now, I didn't airball, okay? So I said to myself, one thing you cannot do, Freeman, is airball this. Because you're not going to live that down. But I missed. I missed just off to the right. It wasn't bad. It wasn't too bad. But I'll tell you, here's the thing about that. I would wake up in the middle of the night. Ah! And my wife would look at me and say, what? I cannot believe I missed that shot. I... Because, see, here's the thing. If I made $7,777, I had a shot for $70,000 at half court. And when you got no money, $70,000 would have changed things. And my prize was, how am I going to ever obtain that? How am I ever going to make up for? You with me on that? And this may not be a financial thing. Relationally, how am I going to make up for that mistake? How am I ever going to get back to where I once was? How am I going to do that? And it was just this pressing thing because I was the provider. My wife was providing for me, but I was in seminary. I was trying to get through that. She was, you know, working hard. And I thought this could have really helped us. Jason, you totally blew it. And in some ways, even though I was in seminary, that, that little mistake, that just failure, it's just a failure, you know, it kept me from pursuing Christ because I thought, hey, I lost it. What is it for you? And it's maybe not a shot at a basketball game. It could be a relationship. It could be a failed opportunity. Whatever it is, there's something that's in our lives that's keeping us from pursuing Christ. And Paul says, you've got to identify that. Now, what does it mean to forget? Because it's not going to just happen. It's not going to just erase. I still got the picture. I should have brought it today. I was thinking that this morning. I should have brought that picture. But anyways... This is what it means to forget. Here's how one commentator captures it. One scholar says, Forgetting is not a passive loss 
of memory. Forgetting is not a passive loss of memory. No, it's an active, continuous discipline of the mind and heart. Although Paul did not actively forget the past, he emphatically chose to disregard it. He still knew it existed. The picture and the evidence was there. But he forcibly, forcibly rejected it. He openly, openly declared non-observance on his past achievements. Paul said it this way, take every thought. So there's not, you don't choose every thought captive in obedience to Christ, which means when that thought comes in, you've got to choose, am I going to, am I going to lombano this? Am I going to take hold of it? Am I going to make it my own? That's what we do when negative thoughts come into our minds, don't we? We lombano that baby. I hold on to it. I'm like, you're right. I'm a loser. I can't believe I missed that shot. I worship it. I sit in it. And then I dream about what life would have been like if my wife had seen me make it. She would have thought I was so awesome. Dirk Nowitzki, right? What would happen in the crowd? And you go through that. What are you doing? That's worship. You're meditating. You're thinking out the implications. And he's saying, what Paul says is when those thoughts come in, you've got to make a choice. I've got to say, wait a minute. That's not going to get me more of Christ. Thinking about what that person did to me, it's not going to help me. Thinking about how I failed, it's not going to help me. Now, there may be things I need to do as, in regard to that, consequences I need to take care of, but it doesn't define me. You know, in the Christian life, your future self defines you more than your present self. I don't know if you realize, it's okay not to know that. I didn't know that for a long time. Your future self, how does God see you? He sees you according to who you will be and who you are in God's presence. You're not there yet, but that's how he loves you. That's how he sees you. He doesn't see you according to what you've done wrong. He doesn't see you according to your past. So stop seeing yourself that way. Why would you see yourself different than God sees you? You know, I hear my son, and I hear my boys do this all the time. They badmouth themselves. You hear your kids do that? It really makes me angry because I love that kid. And, and there's no limits to the things I think he can do. If that's my heart as a father towards Nate and Bryce, those are my kids, how much more is that the symbol, the, the picture of God's heart towards me? Jason, how dare you? How dare you diminish that for which I've died? How dare you demean yourself and take yourself into an identity? That's not who you are. I have taken hold of you. All I ask of you is to take now hold of me. Forgetting what is behind. Folks, that's a discipline. Paul said, if you want to go check this out, in, in uh, Romans 7, he says, he says uh, it's not I, but the sin at work within me. That's an important, that's an important idea. Because he's saying, sometimes those thoughts come in, and you know what we do? We just think it's us. But it could be your past speaking. It could be a voice from the past. It could be a demonic voice. And I need to identify, hey, that's not for me. And that's not for my father. And therefore, I'm not going to take hold of it. Instead, what I need to do is I need to replace it. So here's the second thing, forgetting, which is an active discipline. And then second, we have to strain. Verse 14, straining towards what lies ahead. The image of that is the image of an athlete who's putting everything into the accomplishment of that task to the point, and if you've been in any form of athletics, there's a point in which the mental has to take over the physical and you know you're not there yet, and you know your body is saying, it's warning you, there's signals going off, stop, 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 
No. That's the word straining. It's to push past that point of pain and say, no, it's worth it. I want to strain towards what is ahead. Realize this is the Christian life. It's not the valedictorian Christian life. It's not just the Jesus alongside of him disciple life. It is the normal Christian life of what God wants for us. How much have we diminished what God wants for us? He wants so much more than what we're pursuing ourselves. What I like to do is to take the bar down just a little bit. Now, in certain areas, I like to keep it high. But there's some areas that, God, I just got struggles, you know? I got some difficulties here. You can't expect me to be here. You can't expect me to strain on this issue. Because you know that's really tough. And what we do is we tend to look at the areas that we really are straining in, and we kind of ignore all the stuff in our life that we're really not pursuing the way God wants us to. And when Paul says, I strain, I don't strain in one aspect. I'm not bifurcating my life. This is a holistic view of pursuing Christ so that my marriage pursues Christ, my money pursues Christ, my singleness pursues Christ, my physical desires pursue Christ, my vision for the future pursues Christ, and my letting go of the past pursues Christ. In all things, I'm straining towards that which God has, has chased after me. I want to leave it behind and press on towards what is ahead. Now, what's the goal? Look at verse 14. I press on towards the goal. Here's an interesting idea. You know, back in the Olympic Games, they didn't have those finish lines we have, you know, with the big digital number up there and, and the, the ticker tape and the person screaming out. What they had was a pole. And when the athlete came into the stadium, they would look ahead, and what they would see is the pole. Now, that's the Greek word that is translated goal. So when Paul says, I look to the goal, that's he's saying, just as an athlete, when he comes in the stage, is looking towards the goal, the pole, I'm looking towards Christ. And I'm looking towards, if you notice in verse 14 and 15, I'm looking towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has a call on your life. You are not your own. So stop acting as if you are. He has a call on your life. And the call, it used to be sometimes translated heavenward call, which isn't helpful. It's an upward call. Here's the image. Ready for this? I love this picture. Your goal as an athlete wasn't just to win. Your goal was to be called. And when you got called, the emperor or the judge sat up. You know the nice seats? You wonder what's going on up there? (laughs) You know, you're having hot dogs. They're having filet mignon. They They shrimp up there. They got shrimp up there. And they're having a great time. And and the emperor is up in this area. And the goal of the athlete was to leave the grounds, to step into the stage, onto the, the stairs, and to go up. That's the image that Paul is using, to stand before the judge. And here's what the judge would do. They would pronounce your name in front of tens of thousands of people. They'd pronounce your country. So that's like total pride right there. That's your father weeping, your mother's crying, right? Everybody's like, yes, that's our guy. And they would announce what you just won, and they'd put the wreath on your head. And Paul says, in terms of God, that's what I want. God has already called you upward, but you need to live in response to that. See, here's the beautiful thing. Your life is hidden with Christ and God, and where is Christ right now, just locally? I know he's in heaven and all that, but he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Doesn't mean he's always, you know, he's everywhere, but anyways, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And Scripture says you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You're already there. Your identity is there. Live in response to that. Does that make sense? That, that's the energy that God has put into you. And he's saying the Christian life is simply living in response to that, which means you've got to let your sin go. You've got to let your mistakes go. You need to own it 
in a sense, there's a responsibility that we have to take, but you do not live out of that reality. I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So part of the question we have to ask is, what is the prize that we're chasing after? Because the prize, whatever we're chasing after, if it's not leading us towards Christ, then the prize may be part of the problem. It's the way we see life. Are you seeing life in response to what God has done? Because God doesn't accept us because we strain or we forget. He accepts us because of what Christ has done, but we have to live out of that for which God has taken hold of us. So we forget, we strain, and then third, we press on. Verse uh, 15, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, we press on to win the goal, to win the prize. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you as well. Here's something that's interesting. In verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. I told you that sometimes in the English, we take one Greek word and translate it two ways. Well, in verse 12, it was the word perfect, right? Teleos, told you about that, teleos of shoes. Well, this word in verse 15, perf, uh, mature, is the word teleos, same word. Now, it's translated mature because it would be weird to say perfect. Let those of us who are perfect think this way, but that's the word. Here's Paul's idea. It's kind of confusing, but he's saying, on the one hand, I'm not perfect, I'm not mature, and yet I am mature. That's a picture of maturity. <laughs> when you know something, you know you know it, but you also know what you don't know, and so you're on that line. If you've been an expert in any field, you're like, yeah, I know I'm an, an expert, but yet if they really asked me this question, I wouldn't know it. And he's saying that's the picture of Christian maturity. On the one hand, you know you're not there, but you know you're kind of there, but you're not there. And that's what he's saying. For those that say, hey, I'm mature, Scripture would call you, ready for this? Not me, this is Scripture, would call you a fool. When you go to books like Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, there's two types of people they paint, the fool and the wise. Now, the fool, this guy's crazy. I, I, no, actually, the wise are crazy in my mind. The wise love rebuke. Anybody here love a good rebuke in the morning? You just get up. Jason, you blew it last night. <laughs> Bring it on, baby. I just love this rebuke right now. Rebuke, correction, training, wisdom. The wise, Scripture says, loves to be examined. They love to grow. And here's what's really crazy. Ready for this? Psalm 141, verse 5. I've never prayed this. Psalm 141, verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's, it's oil on my head. Let my head not refuse it. The strike of a righteous man. Just He's saying, bring it. Because, see, the goal is not to be impressed, impressive before the righteous man. The goal is to know Christ. And if this rebuke causes me to know Christ, then, then bring that into my life. But here's the fool. The fool says, I need no correction. And listen, the fool says, I can run by myself. When Paul is using the language, I want to know Christ, realize he's using that in the context of the body of Christ. We have an American concept of competition in the sense that we have lost the idea of community. And we put ourselves into this like Paul. But see, when Paul says, I'm straining towards what is ahead, you know what straining towards what is ahead looks like for Paul? It's pulling people forward. It's saying, I want you guys to come with me. I'm not content 
with where you are in your spiritual life, I'm, I'm willing to rebuke you, correct you, train, and I'm willing and open to that, but I'm not going to walk by myself. We have to move in this together. One of the signs that I am a fool is there's skeletons in my closet, and no one in this room, and no one close to me knows that. You want to talk about what you need to forget, you need to bring it out. And Paul is one of those guys that says it's worth bringing those things out because it's going to keep you. If you don't, it keeps you from Christ. How many of us are running alone? You know, that this guy, Kenyan guy, do you see it? Wow, under two, hour, two hours for the marathon. Now, it, it kind of, I was watching it, you know, this week, and I thought, that's unfair. That's not real time. You can't set it up. He had these 40 guys. Do you know about this? You need to check it out. It's awesome. These 40 guys, their only job was to run like maybe 12 miles with him so that they could keep the pace. He did the whole marathon. These guys were jumping in and out, but what were they doing? They were helping him strain on towards, and then he had a green line. That just seemed wrong, right? He had the green line in front of him. You see that on television when the world record thing? Well, he had that in front of him the whole time so that he knew the line he had to be at to reach that two-hour mark. So he ran it in under that. But see, that's a, really the picture of the Christian life. That should be the church. We should be lying, putting down these green lines in front of each other, you know? I, we should be running alongside each other as we go through life and saying, it's worth it. It's worth pressing on towards what is ahead. That's what it means to be mature. But he ends with this in verse 16. Watch this. In verse 16, he says this, only let us hold true to what we have already attained. So you're in the race right now. You've already attained. You've gone to a certain point. Well, what's causing you to drop back? He's saying you've run the race. What's causing you from pressing forward? What's keeping you from that? Don't stop. Why do we stop? Because something we have, there's something we need to forget, and we're not forgetting it. There's a straining towards what is ahead, and we're not straining. We're just comfortable. And we need to be uncomfortable in our comfortability, if that's a word. And then finally, we need to know what the goal is. I want to show you a video. I'm going to close with this. But this was uh, something I just came across. I was actually watching the Kenyan stuff about that guy in the two-hour marathon. And there was this story. I remember this in 2004. I think it was the Athens Olympics. There was a Brazilian marathon runner in first place. He was probably a couple miles from the end of of, uh, of this race and he was in first he was going to win and someone lumbanoed him you know what I'm saying take hold of we take hold of God the way he takes hold of us someone grabs him so when you see that grabbing that could be a picture of your past that could be a picture of sin some guy from the crowd just grabs the dude and pulls him off into the crowd and what happened in that moment is he forgot the prize he forgot what was ahead. And you're going to notice he's going to be like doing this. He's looking behind himself. He's looking at the guys next to him. He's kind of feeling bad for himself. But then watch what happens when he forgets. And this dude forgot in two miles, right? So 10 minutes, this guy already readjusted his mind. But he says, and he actually says this, once I'd kind of forgotten, I came into that auditorium with joy. And the gold medal that he thought he was going to get, he says the bronze was like gold to me. Because, see, he didn't give up, and he pressed on. Will you guys show that real quick? It's a picture of where we are and what God wants for us in Christ. Vanderlei Cordeiro de Lima of Brazil was leading the men's marathon at the Athens Olympic Games in 2004 when he was abruptly bundled off the course by a spectator. De Lima not only lost precious seconds during the incident, 
He also lost his rhythm and had to recover mentally. He would eventually be overtaken by two runners who would go on to take the gold and silver. Delima shared his joy with the world as he approached the finish line. This exemplary outlook earned Delima many admirers. It also earned him the prestigious Pierre de Coubertin medal for exemplifying the true spirit of sportsmanship. When I entered the stadium, I was so happy that I had already forgotten the episode. It's bronze, but it means gold. It's bronze, but it means gold. Hey, what, what's grabbed hold of you? Jumped in unexpectedly. Did you notice how he responded? He's looking around. He's like, oh my gosh, these guys are beating me. He's looking behind. I should have been further ahead. You know, if he allowed that mentality to hold him down when he ran into that stadium, even if he got the bronze, he would have lost. But he pressed on. He pressed on. And the joy of that, it brought joy to everyone. Because that's what a changed life, doesn't it do that? It brings joy to everyone because they see that and they say, that's, that's what I want. I mean, there was only one guy with the gold around his neck, but... But that runner had the gold in, in his heart in a sense that he had, had finished this race and accomplished his goal. And so as we pray, I would just ask, you know, what is, what is it that you need to let go of? And maybe it's a sin that you've been forgiven for, but you don't, you don't rest in it as you've been forgiven. If you want to, we have communion available to you. As after I pray, we're going to sing. And, and, and those of you that want to pray, if you want to come forward and, and be at these stations to pray for them, please do that. But take this opportunity. The Spirit of God is working in your heart. Do not leave without responding. This is the day of salvation. And God has made this moment for us to respond. And let me pray. Father, I thank you that uh, so often, uh, Lord, Lord, there's stuff in life. And we, I, I know I do. I'm going to start with me. I think I give myself permission to be miserable because of what other, someone else has done or because of a circumstance, or even sometimes because of what I have done. And, and I cast on you, Father, this vision that you could not possibly have taken hold of me because look at what I've done. And yet the truth of the gospel is our identity is, is in Christ. It's not in the past. It's not in our baggage. So in Jesus' name, Father, I'd ask that you would enable us today just to let go and then have the discipline, Father, this week to take captive, to to take hold of that, which Christ has taken hold of me by taking every thought captive and surrender and worship and obedience to Christ. And though, Father, in those moments when we take it captive, we may feel exactly the same, and yet we're honoring and worshiping you, and that's causing us to become day by day more like Christ. Help us to strain, Father. And then, Lord, I pray for us as a community. Would we not be a, a group of individual runners? But there are individuals in this room that we're supposed to be in community with and we have lost that vision because it's, it's more comfortable to run alone sometimes. And yet what you want us to attain is that two-hour marathon and we need those brothers and sisters alongside to push us towards Christ. So Father, whatever it is you want to work in our heart this morning, would you draw us 
to yourself. And would we not leave this place without being prayed for, without sharing communion, or just confessing our deep need and desire for you, Father. Help us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name.